0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Three Hundred Seven RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. Fellas, what's going on? How's, how's life treating you
1: so far? So good. It It took me a hundred hours, but I did complete Elden Ring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. It's,
1: it took me took me a long time, but uh, yeah. I'm all the way through it. They dropped a patch that nerfed all the things I was doing. Oh. So I beat the final boss, the hardest and the hardest boss in the game. And the next day, they made everything that I was doing take twice as long and hit half as hard.
0: Oh, I bet you glad you. you got it done then.
1: So I was like, whoo. So I played a little bit trying to like figure out another way to like deal the same amount of damage. Can't do it.
0: So do you go back and replay now, or are you just like, nope, done, getting rid of the game?
1: I think I might be done. (laughs) It's it's something else. It's something else. Like, I think a a quarter of the people who bought the game on Steam have not defeated the first boss.
0: Good grief. I haven't even touched it. I have no idea.
1: I think the the player is going to fall off pretty hard. Which is kind of a negative on the game, but that's not, we're not here to talk about Elden Ring.
0: No, no, today. we're not. <laughs> How about you, Nolan? How's everything going?
2: It's going good. Nothing super exciting. Um,
0: Yeah. yeah. Just another, another week. Just another week. As folks know, we did wrap up our look at Tolis last week, as well as taking a look at the UA for heroes of Crin from Dungeons and Dragons. And this week we're going to be taking a look at the book, the one ring from free league. Now, This just came out. It was a Kickstarter. Uh, We have talked about it before. Just a really quick overview and giving our first thoughts of it. And now we thought we'd kind of do like we did with Tolis and take a real deep look at the book and give you our thoughts. So today we're going to be discussing chapters one and two. uh, That way we don't go too deep. Uh, for, or I shouldn't say too deep, but we don't go too long because uh, the book is fairly large. I will say, and I've shown you both the book already. I will say that the book is masterfully done when it comes to layout and print job and, and just artwork. It is absolutely fantastic. What were your first thoughts on just looking at the physical copy of the book, fellas?
2: I, uh, same boat. Uh, I like the, the quality of the pages, uh, the paper it's printed it on. Um, the art is every bit as fantastic as we kind of hoped it would be. Um, it seemed like a quality product. So, I mean, that's one of those things that you just sometimes you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And then, you you know, you assume you think it's going to be great because you've seen other books of theirs in the past. And and it kind of lived up to their expectations, I think. So it was it's well done.
0: Zach, as you're someone who has back, the runes of uh, Simbarum from Free League and is has now shipped. Having seen the physical product for the one ring, does that make you more excited for the runes of Simbarum?
1: It does. Yeah. The the One Ring book is a super high quality product. Like anyone who uh, has uh, the Player's Handbook for Fifth Edition D anD D can go grab the book and they'll know what I mean. It's got like a cardboard backing, like the the, um, the the spine and everything is like cardboard wrapped in plastic, and the pages are printed on a plastic as well. And it's it's really tough, but it's also very heavy. The One Ring is larger than the 5th edition handbook, and it's lighter. Yes. Because the paper that they are printing it on is of a higher quality. It's real paper. And when you get high-quality paper, it's actually lighter than you think it would be. Like, so despite being a larger book than the 5th edition player's handbook, it weighed, like, maybe half as much with a real backing on it. It's a really high-quality book. Like, there are... like. James Patterson's novels are not printed on as high as quality paper.
0: James Patterson is now setting the standard for what we're printing our books on. (laughs) Uh, I agree. I I I was I mean having I've purchased other books from Free League um, Vessen for example, and I thought immediately when I got Vessen, my first thought was, "Wow, this is a really light book. What's going on with this book?" And then when I felt the texture of the pages, I I was like, "Wow, they felt durable, but they felt." They felt like this is this is one of those products that an, an heirloom, that's what I'm looking for, like almost like an heirloom product. Like this is a product that's probably going to stand the test of time because of the quality of the of the
1: of the products that use that they use to make it. And you can go out and feel it. you can go feel like an eight by eleven printer paper and you can feel that you could like like uh, squish your hands together and tear it. And then you can go to plastic like wizards type paper. And that's not going to happen. But then you go one step further into Free League's paper. It's really high quality.
0: It really is.
1: spend a lot of time touching books. (laughs) I bet you do. (laughs) It it stands out.
0: I I agree. So let's jump into it, shall we? Obviously, we're going to look at chapter one and two, as we said. So the first chapter is just the prologue. And it's not very long. It's fairly quick. But it does give you insight as to the area and time frame in which you are playing. So I want to be very clear. This is not the Hobbit. This is not the Fellowship of the Rings. This is a time frame between the two, correct? Yeah. So I want under I want our listeners to understand that you will not be playing as Boromir or Aragon or you will not be playing as Bilbo or any of the dwarves. You'll be creating your own characters to do things in betwixt those two books.
2: I mean, you could if you wanted to, but I mean you it, could. It does right? it does give you the structure. Uh, of the game uh, and able to, the ability to do so. But this is kind of their time period. What happened during that time? Because right. there is a, you know, a good section of restructuring and rebalancing of power. Uh, so it kind of allows, if you want to be more on that side of the story, um, there are, you know, a, a few, a little calm before the storm. So there's a little less evil in the world at the moment. Uh, so some of those things are, able to go and uh, investigate places, maybe places or people haven't been to in a while. So I think there's a lot of tales to be told in that area. The map is huge, uh, obviously. Yeah, it, it also,
1: uh, it says in, you know, in chapter one that this all takes place in Areador. Am I pronouncing that a- properly? Eriador. Eriador. So it's not like you don't go past the Misty Mountains, right? Like is Rivendell even in this area?
0: Well, keep in mind that there is a supplement for Rivendell.
1: Okay. So do you feel like chapter one is like, do you think that they've created a uh, a tutorial area and they'll release more books? Or do you think that this is just like a example of what to do and you can go from there?
0: I think this is the basis. Like you are going to create characters who are for the most part going to be within Eriador. I mean it clearly states that the one ring lies in Eriador. It's dormant uh, a seed of the past that will one day bring the end of this age to the world. You're playing in the third age and you're looking for the one ring. So to speak, at least that's the concept here. And the idea is that the one ring is in Eriador. I imagine they could release supplements to bring other parts of the world into it, but for now this book sets place in Eriador.
2: and that is still a large area. Uh, you know, from from that standpoint, we you have much of uh, the Shire, the Lone Lands. It goes up into the the very touches of Mount Gundabad. Uh, it also gets down into Moria uh, and the borders of the uh, Lothlorien um, and the edges of Rohan. So this is kind of that northwestern section of the map um and again it, it, it does kind of deal with that you know i imagine if you're playing this campaign you know Bree, hobbiton are probably going to be somewhat of your center focus it is kind of in the middle of the map but you know you can go farther uh west towards the gray havens um, or you could head further you know east towards yeah. you know some darker areas as well uh, rivendell is in the map area that they kind of give for this part of the supplement um, so, it, it's it's a huge stretch of land, and the idea behind this is, is you will play a few episodes, and time will pass, and something else will come up. And it does have that episodic style story versus a day by day kind of campaign.
1: Okay, I'm seeing Rivendell now. I, uh, yeah, I just missed it on the. I just missed it on the map.
2: Yeah and and really, also... this is kind of right what we what we saw in the Hobbit and the Fellowship. This kind of touches on the base areas of the the early parts of that and um I know this is kind of the the remaking of second edition but the, gosh they had uh w- when we were able to pick up the uh, the other one ring uh, humble bundle I mean they had you know you could do your campaign down through Rivendell you can follow those steps you make your way to Gondor you have the realm of the elves yes. uh so I think there's I mean I, I believe there's more coming for sure.
0: Well, and and keep in mind Nolan that that humble bundle that we got that was Adventures in Middle-earth, completely right. different. Right. I
2: just I mean I'm just saying like you, they kind of have their roadmap of and those Right. Things are, oh, absolutely. Know, very well done. You know, just from that standpoint to lore base and so I yep. get those feelings of uh equal respect towards the the genre. I
0: agree. And now I do want to say that The One Ring was originally released in 2011. It was considered to be it was an award-winning game and it was considered to be the the most accurate representation of tolkien's world and adventuring within middle earth this new edition this is according to the book the new edition of the one ring brings players further into the twilight of the third age and does it with a set of updated and streamlined rules developed over years of players feedback and design development in an entirely new graphic presentation So this is a remake. This is a second edition of the One Ring from 2011. So if you played the One Ring in 2011 and you loved it, this might be something you want to take a look at. So let's go and talk about the fact that this is indeed taking place in the Third Age. It says the year is 2965 of the Third Age and the Shadow is returning. 24 years ago, an alliance of elves, men and dwarves defeated a horde of orcs and wild wolves under a sky darkened by giant bats, inaugurating a new era of prosperity for the free people. But 20 years is a long time for peace to last. And in many dark corners of the earth, a shadow is lengthening once again. So we're dealing with the return of the big evil, right? And we're we know, of course, that we're looking for the one ring because that's going to be the biggest thing that he's searching for. So that's obviously why we're why it's called the one ring. Let's talk about, we, we've we kind of mentioned the area of Eriador. Nolan, you, especially with all the stuff that you do, like uh, Lord of the Rings Online and, and such, you probably know Eriador better than Zach and I could even imagine. So tell us about some of the key areas of
2: Eriador. Um, okay. For people who have uh, you know seen the movies, it is very much uh, the early adventure. Um, some of the highlights that you see from the Fellowship. Uh, are a part of this uh, area Hobbiton and Bree kind of being the center most region uh, of this map that we're looking at uh, again the far east is Rivendell the far west is the Grey Havens so there would be some places that you may have seen before uh, if you've watched the movies I've read the books it'd be that early part um, it, it does look like it's very much centered on very easily being around Bree it would kind of be a more natural hub it would be a good starting point but again uh the the area is quite large um the time period much of it would start to be uh kind of run down from the older ages as well um i don't believe Weathertop is standing still you know i mean that stuff has been gone for a long time so it would be fairly familiar to to you if you've watched the movies and or uh, read the first book that that's not it's not that far back in time but there's uh I, yeah it's it's hard to look at the map and not see the places from uh, lord of the rings online um so kind of with that in mind i can see so many avenues for adventure uh, you know you'd kind of mentioned the time period of things that have happened you know this is I mean, this is very much kind of deep into the early start of it, right? Like, uh, what is it, 2956, Aragorn meets Gandalf, and they go hunting for Golem, basically. That's kind of when their relationship starts, and they're trying to figure it out. So uh, a lot of things have happened. You would be fairly deep into that era, so... Yeah, I, I I don't know. Map wise, I mean, it's it's probably the best place to play. It's probably the most play the place most people are going to be familiar with, with still a little bit of that opportunity for awe to step up into some areas that are very well created, just not very well known. Um, yeah, the what is it? The Anna Ana uh, is a ruined. Uh, yeah. Original capital-esque city of the line of Arnor that lives on a lake that has been uh, lost and gone to the ages, but that's where like the tombs of some of the great kings are, you know, so there could be a thing of like, you could be seeking out artifacts from another age um, in that area. And I think that's kind of – there are some major, major beautiful areas as you get up into the Blue Mountains and the old dwarves uh, also have an opportunity in there to interact with something that you probably would have no idea from watching the movies or unless you read the deep pages of the books. Um, again, done very well in some some games and stuff like that. But they uh, – yeah, it, it, it hits everything right in this area. So it it is kind of the melting pot of travel right in that area of Brie.
0: As we move through the uh, first chapter, we do have a timeline like Nolan kind of talked about where it breaks down. Starting at 2941, uh, it says the Wizard Gandalf, Thorn Oak, and 12 dwarves, uh, dwarves visit Bilbo. So we know that that's the beginning of The Hobbit. ends right around 2957 to 65 where it says rumors of turmoil, of strife, and and in wilderland become more and more common in this decade traffic intensifies over the high passes as more and more travelers from the east come into the west come into the westlands bringing news of threats to the fragile peace between men elves and dwarves then we get into like kind of the nuts and bolts if you will where we're talking about the player characters uh, or in this case they call them player heroes there was something in here that really struck me as they talked about player heroes because they talk about how the heroes are oftentimes simple people who do extraordinary things, and their names are remembered forever. However, there's also those simple people who try to do extraordinary things, fail, and their names are forgotten in time. Zach, I was curious what your thoughts are on calling the characters player heroes. Does it really matter to you? Do you feel like that adds uh, a little th- thematic to this game?
1: Yeah, the language that we use is important. It, it fundamentally changes the creation of your character. Just straight up. like How so? Not- you're not, pl- you're not making a character, you're making a hero. There's the assumption that you're going to be a hero in D&D, but it doesn't tell you that. It tells you to make a player character. As the One Ring straight up tells you, you're making someone who's like from the Fellowship of the Ring. Someone who's supposed to be in important events.
0: It, Which, as we know, the you know many of the people in the Fellowship of the Ring, well, the Hobbits in this case, were simple folks who set out to do extraordinary things. Mm-hmm.
1: It's. But I think that's kind of it. does set the, the books, tone, right? Right? Yeah.
0: Say that again, Zach.
1: Hell, that's the point of the books, right? Yeah. I mean, Tolkien mm-hmm. watched a bunch of boys alongside him go off to have to do extraordinary things in a in a place to the east where they watched all that devastation happen and then they just had to go home.
0: World war one for those who don't know.
1: Like, yeah, I guess. So I think just trying to say that, you know, no, make a hero, right? You're you, everyone else out here. Like you're still a normal person, but someone's got to go out there. I guess it's you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Nolan, what were you going to say?
2: Oh, I, and I, I do believe it. It sets the tone. Um, after playing, uh, uh, like Monster of the Week, where it is very much of like you're going to be a hunter. You play it like you're in a movie. Um, this here kind of is along the same lines of we're, we're telling it through episodic-type shows. Like you could – you're going to play a thing. It's going to be almost like – not necessarily like a TV show, but like an episode of whatever. You could deal with something. And, and then at the end of that show, things wrap up and we join up with our you know, adventures at another time period or another place. and And it's not necessarily – the day by day stuff. So it, it does set that thing of like, oh, okay. I want to in D and D play a guy who lives on a farm and a goblins attack and they you know run over, you know, the the town, kill my family, and now all of a sudden I want revenge. Well, cool. Like that's a very small thing like what happens when it's done, right? Well, I'm going to go home and restart my family and my, my village. This here is like, no, this is, this is your life. You are a hero. You are going to always seek out what you can do next. You know, there is not necessarily a path home at this point, you know, um, you, you were doing this for something greater than yourself. And I think that's kind of where that hero does, you know, Sam prime example, you know, he misses home every single day, but he's ready to die for that place as well. And I, right you know hero holds a term to it to kind of set the mindset oh i'm going to be a badass and i'm going to make things better hopefully let's do this
0: yeah, I just want to read this real quick. It says, players can be courageous hobbits of the Shire, driven by curiosity to go and see the ruins of the Deadman's Dyke. Traveling dwarves seeking to visit the ancestral halls of Durin's folks in the Arid Luin. Far-reaching bardings from the from Wilderland in search of adventure in the Westlands. Elves from Linden tasked with guarding what is kept in the Tower of Elisterion. Uh, men of Bree leaving their quiet village for the first time or rangers of the north which I'm sure no one would probably play sworn to uh, keep the dreadful things at bay, whatever their choices, players must step into their character shoes to think as a hero would think and react as heroes would react. It is a game of make believe a story in the making created in collaboration with the lore master. The lore master in this case is what we normally would call the game master or the DM. I like the term lore master. What are your
2: guys' thoughts on that? Better than the Storyteller? I like Storyteller. Uh, I like it. Uh, it. There is also kind of that um, Elrond is El master. Yeah, there you go. You know oh, what I mean? So it is that person who knows far more than most, doesn't usually get involved, um, but can be a guide uh, to those seeking knowledge. And so uh, in, the, in the online video game, there is actually a class and they're their thing as they are delving for ancient mysteries and dealing with runes and symbols and, and forgotten lore instead of actually being a wizard. So for me, it's like, oh, I like I like the dial as well.
0: You know, I think about conversations you and I have had, Nolan, where we talk about how in Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's works, and and Zach even mentioned earlier, words are important. The way he says things is very important. The way he writes things is very important. I did not catch the lore master bit when, when you said, you know, Elrond is a lore master. I, now I see it as Elrond was the DM of that that whole <laughs> D <D&D> game.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. He's
0: you know, telling everybody what the adventure is. So that's that's awesome. Uh yeah. And they, I They didn't, didn't
2: have a healer, so the DM also played Gandalf. And right. So
0: Gandalf now we have a Delo story. Exactly. Um I like the fact that they use the term lore master. Again, it's just it just adds some. Adds to the theme, if you will, of this game and and, well emphasizes that words are important. As we move further through this chapter, we get into the structure of the game and the structure of the game talks about like the adventuring phase. It talks about the fellowship phase and in each of these are different phases of your game. The adventuring phase is where, well, obviously most of the stuff's going to happen. That's where you're going to have your adventuring, that's where you're going to have your combat, that's where the lore master is going to set the scene and let the players do what they need to do. Uh, and then the fellowship phase is a Wrap up phase that's like at the end of the game Okay well we finished the adventuring Phase now we're at the end of the game uh, Or at the end of this section and We're going to have a fellowship phase where you can do Other things and it's neat That they talk about how during the Adventuring phase it's the lore master's Job to set the tail and let the Players listen and do what they're supposed To do yet in the fellowship phase It is now the player's job to tell The lore master what they are going to be doing And the lore master basically needs to keep his or her mouth shut listen and let them know how it's going to affect the gameplay i liked that concept of showing i mean and it's obvious we do that in other role-playing games okay you had some downtime and this is what the fellowship phase is it's just your downtime uh, i but i really enjoyed the fact that they differentiated those two what are your thoughts on that
1: i think it's nice that it's codified
0: yeah i agree and
2: I think that again playing some of these other games and stuff like that it, it they're you know you, you watch uh, a episode of game of thrones right or maybe you know i don't know for for monster of the week it's you know like buffy the vampire slayer You go out, you do your investigation, you find the monster, you, you know, find its weakness, uh, you complete that mission, you defeat them, everybody's safe, and then you watch next week and it's like, oh, you know, next week is prom. And you're like, wasn't it just the Christmas special? Like, what happened here? You know? And that's, these are kind of the, like, you know, this is the gap. Okay, you know, that tale is done. You probably got beaten up. You're probably wounded. You could probably use a week off. You could check in on, you know, I mean, there's things of leads or what did we, you know, what happened did we conclude the current mystery uh, did we learn anything new about the heroes do we know anything different about the world what do we know and it, it is a nice i don't know i i think more games could benefit kind of from that uh not necessarily a session zero but kind of that gap in the arcs that we see of like oh well you know how are you still feeling about this let's wrap this up or let's you know put it let's make sure that you bring this into your character to you know Hey, remember when this happened to you and that was a big deal in the moment. I don't want you to lose that. So let's make sure we get that on the character sheets. Let's, you know, you know, add that to the role playing and and there are just times where you're just like, "Well, this is still bothering me. Uh, can I find out more information?" And the DM could just be like, "Perfect. Yeah, this is what you find. I've already got a next adventure written." And it's a nice little way to, you know, brainstorm as well.
0: So at the end of Lord of the Rings, we see Frodo or Sam and Frodo go off, right? So you just imagine that we hit the, you know, we hit the fellowship phase where the players representing Frodo and Sam's tell the lore master, Hey, this is what we want to do. They begin the next phase with only Aragorn realizing that they're gone. And, and now the player representing Aragorn has to tell everybody that those players are now gone. And it happened during the fellowship phase.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I'm being silly. Well, um, oh, no, and, and I think that is that, I mean, you can't, you break it, you break those kind of things up. Um, Also to just, you know, give your players a break and also knowing that sometimes like the adventure is like three to five, um, kind of things, you know, as a, as a lore master, a storyteller, whether or not this is, um, going to be okay you know like oh wow we we tried this in this area for three or four things and my my players really grasped on to you know tally the shop smith i want to make sure he's coming back versus they didn't give two rips about you know the hobos who live in you know the dock district you know so i guess i don't need to try and force that down you know so it's just nice to have a little uh kind of reset where you're just like well this this giant campaign is not going the way I thought it was. Let's start something new. Right, You could just be like, alright, let's pivot and here's a, here's a clue and we're going to head west instead of heading south because my players have nothing to do with Rivendell or whatever. So. Sure. So as we head to chapter two. Can, in? Can you even get
1: into Rivendell? It's been a long time since I read the books.
2: Depending on this time period? Uh, I don't know. I would assume so if they made the Rivendell supplement.
1: Okay.
2: And it also depends on who you're with, right? I mean, if you have an elf amongst your group, right, a little bit easier. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Elrond is somebody that you know could eventually be like a patron. I mean, he could be a mission giver. So
0: yeah. So as we move to chapter two, we have this incredible piece of art that shows adventurers, looks like hobbits, uh, sitting around a campfire with trolls standing over them. Uh, seeming to come out of the darkness. This is not a super, super detailed piece of art. It just isn't. But I think everything about this piece of art and it's very similar to the artwork we saw in the Ruins of Symbrum. Mm-hmm. I, be the there's, same person. yeah, there's something about this artwork that just makes me go, oh, wow. So I, I and I know I talk a lot about the artwork, but I do want to talk real quick, get your guys' thoughts, because this is different than what we would see in a, like a DD book, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So I wonder, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts on this style of art.
2: They're uh, they're they're having dinner around the stolen trolls that Bilbo tricked. Oh, you're right. That's they're petrified. Yep. But yes, I I I will. The vagueness of the art world allows you to make up the faces. And when I make up faces, I am able to find my character, versus being told what the character looks like reading those books and stuff like that I think everybody has I don't know I always find a person that I identify with or they have traits and and it warps how I see that person right and so having this vagueness here um and, and just having that there you're like oh I could I could see one of those being my character sitting in this moment and and I think that that is a nice not necessarily maybe inspirational type art kind of goes from there like oh I could see myself in this moment versus seeing you know you know Orlando Bloom in that moment is completely different. sure it doesn't personalize it so
1: Zach okay uh it's it's great but freely it just re- apparently refuses to have bad art I would agree with that
2: <laughs> yeah like, there there isn't a book that they don't put out that
1: is yeah e- even wouldn't. the ones that I find stylistically like less appealing like the Vessen art see and I love the Vessen art and that's the thing is like, it's not that it's great. It's that I don't find it as appealing as like the, the black and white cross hatching of the art in this work. Sure. But that's a, <clears throat> excuse me. That's a personal thing. The art is still amazing, even if you're not really into it.
2: Yeah, yeah I agree. Well done and creepy. And you can still be like time, effort, care went into this and it wasn't. So, yeah. so
1: much effort.
0: Well, I love I love that, it's, you know, I, and I haven't flipped all the way through the book itself, but I love the fact that every time I look at this, it's the color pictures that are separating the chapters. And then we have that black and white crosshatch like Zach talked about in the actual pages, just giving you that. I don't know, giving you a feel that this is something different. This is something special. I, you know, I did not purchase when I did the Kickstarter. I did not do the um, collector's edition. And I don't know if I'm regretting that or not now, because <laughs> I
2: think I kind of wanted to see what the collector's edition looked like. I even the um, even the paper being very scroll like and kind of yes. tea stained yellow, um, and then having like the upper borders being in the red pen, and then even the side borders themselves having you know uh, dwarves with axes and runes. Like I mean, the pay each page is just. Just a, a very pleasing to look at as well um normally when i see like oh there's gonna be a bunch of red in a tail or something like that it, it it's like okay is this gonna be too harsh and this is just well done i mean it it, it is each page is pleasing to look at it
0: so let's get into chapter two because now we have action resolution if i remember correctly right mm-hmm. yep yes. some how works. you play the game Yeah, we're getting into the nuts and bolts here about dice rolls and and things like that. Now, the dice, they do have a special set of dice. Now, Mm -hmm. if you were a backer of the Kickstarter, you know that the dice got screwed up. Uh, I actually haven't even opened the dice that I got, so I don't know how they're screwed up. I do know that I need to log in. Apparently, there's a voucher that I need to use to claim to get a different set of dice. Um, But you don't need the special dice. You don't need them because this this game only uses D sixes in D 12s. But mm-hmm. the trick to remember is that if you roll a D 12, the 11 is an eye of Sauron and the 12 is the Gandalf rune. So if you're using the actual dice, that's what those represent. And those numbers are significant. If mm-hmm. you roll a D six, if you roll a six, it's an elvish rune, which again is significant. So what those, what the, what, what, what Patrick just glitched <laughs> um, on the D six, the six sided dice are your success dice. And we're going to get into that in just a second. And the Elvish rune means that you rolled an additional success. So it's important mm-hmm. that, that we remember that. So let's talk about rolling dice. Zach, you tend to be the guy who likes to really dig into rules. So I'm going to flip this to you.
1: Yeah, this is, it's going to sound complex, but once you just try it out, It's a lot easier than it sounds. Um, So, yeah, like like Patrick said, every time the Loremaster needs you to make a roll for some reason, because the situation's dangerous, because you're trying to find some knowledge, or because you're trying to manipulate an NPC into doing something, you need to roll. You always roll a d12. Now, the 11 and the 12 have been changed in this. An 11 counts as a zero, and a 12 counts as an immediate success. Then the lore master gives you something like you're trying to find something, so the lore master asks you to make an awareness roll. You have an awareness skill of like two, and that, that, that's how many d6s you roll. So you take your d12, you take whatever your skill is, let's say two, so you take your 2d6 and you roll them. You add the numbers together and you compare that to a target number. And the thing is, is that the target number is 20 minus one of your abilities. So you always know the target number. Like the example is, if you have a strength of seven, and you're making an Awareness roll, which is a Strength ability, then it's 20 minus 7 is 13. So anytime the the master asks you to make an Awareness roll, you know that you just have to get a 13 or higher. Everything is on your character sheet. And that makes it move a lot faster, and it makes everything a lot simpler. And I think Free League has kind of really emphasized this. Uh, Simbroom's the exact same way. Uh, Morkborg Borg is the exact same way. You never need to ask the lore master what you need to roll. They tell you what to roll. You look on your character sheet and you know what you needed to get. Just depends on how
0: many successes you have.
1: Just depends on how many successes you have. And a 12 is always a success. So even if your skill was zero, you're just rolling a d12. You still have an 8% chance of success. So it's it's one of those things where it's it's still risky, it's still dangerous, but you can still you might be able to get it done.
0: So they do talk, they do give an example of a role in here. It says scouting ahead for the company, Hanar the dwarf has a chance to notice a, to notice a group of goblins setting up an ambush. He has an awareness skill of two, so he rolls a feet die plus two success die, adding up the results of all dies rolled. As awareness is a strength skill. The roll result is compared to, against Hanar's strength tar, uh, Hanar's strength target number, which is 13. With the success die showing a 4, a 5, and the feat die showing an 8, which when you total those up, that's 17. Mm-hmm. Hanar's player hardly needs to do any math to know that the dwarf has succeeded. It goes to degrees of success, right? And I actually yeah. really enjoyed degrees of success.
1: Um, yeah, so the the six on your D6s, that's not an automatic success. But it does give you a degree of success.
0: I thought the six gave
1: you an additional success. It does, yeah. So it, like, um, you can still, like, fail the roll. Oh, I, I see you, what you're saying, yeah. But if you get a D6, then you also get some stuff.
0: Yes, yes. If you if you if you succeed the roll, but you rolled no elvish runes, you mm-hmm. succeeded. Uh, but it wasn't like anything fancy. Uh, here's a I because I, again, I was trying to throw this back to the films. The bridge of Kaz's dune. Gimli goes to jump across. He makes it, but he starts to fall and they have to grab and he screams, not the beard. Right. So that's yeah, yeah you succeeded. It wasn't super great, but you did it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Absolutely. he failed and somebody succeeded in grabbing him.
1: <laughs> yeah. As opposed to, say, when Aragorn has to toss Gimli. Right. Aragorn, in that case, rolls; he succeeds, but he gets an extra success because he rolls an Elvish Rune. He rolls a six. So he doesn't just toss Gimli. He tosses Gimli hard enough that when Gimli lands, he immediately strikes down an orc.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's going to be up to your lore master to do that. So it does talk about the degrees of success. If no runes were scored, the action was successful but didn't achieve anything beyond having a minimum success. Uh, if one was rolled, the, action, uh, then the player's hero accomplishment was out of the ordinary. If two were rolled, two or more were rolled, the result was absolutely exceptional and memorable and extraordinary success.
1: And it should be noted that when you roll, when you roll a six on that success die, there's a table of things, and you get to choose from them. Yeah, and it's it's just another part of that. Everything is within the player's hands. The lore master doesn't have to adjudicate. Like, okay, you succeeded. It's like, no, I I'm I want to go quietly. I want to achieve my success noiselessly. Like, perfect. And yep. like, yeah, the lore master just says, "Yep, you've you've opened the chest, but you did so quietly." And no one knows that you're in this room yet. Or, or
0: it could even be something like um, you and the entire party is sneaking around. That one guy mm-hmm. who thinks he's the quietest dwarf in the world is making all sorts of noise. And you yeah. did well. Yeah. Cause he's deaf and you rolled well enough that you can now cancel their, one of their failures, making it so where he is now successful. Mm-hmm. So there's it, a lot of different things that you can, well, I shouldn't say a lot. There are a few things that you can choose from here to help make your success,
1: not just affect you, but your entire party. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this sounds, it sounds complex because you're dealing with, it's a D12, but it's not really a D12 and there's a D6, but then there's a little Elvish Room on there. it sounds more complex than it is. Once you create your character sheet, you're done. Yep. You just, you never have to do anything else. You have your character sheet, you have the numbers, I roll a D12, I roll a couple D6s, I see if I beat that number that's it
0: so then we have types of roles and and i know we're kind of bogging down here but i do think these were kind of uh, important we have favored and ill favored rules nolan you want to talk to us a little, real quick about those
2: yeah a uh, favored role is when a player hero possesses a special affinity for the task um this kind of reminded me a little bit of like expertise uh ill favored role is uh when making ill favored role player rolls two feet dice instead of one keeping the worst results so if we got advantage disadvantage um And I I do enjoy that kind of, uh, again, uh, and, you know, drag the barbarian, make an arcana check. I'm like, do you know anything about arcana? No. You know, so it's like, you know, it's one of those things. Well, you can roll, it'll be a disadvantage. And, and, and here we can work with the limited successes or greater successes. of like, well, you did hear that one guy in the bar that one time talking about this one thing, and it may add some insight to your friends, um, so I, I do I do like still having the uh, the a specialist type situation or a feeling of that, like, this is what I do. Well, can I make a nature check too? I'm like, you've never seen a mushroom in your life. How are you going to know? Let the ranger do his job. Not everybody gets to roll today. Stop it. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. Can I pick the lock?
0: You don't even know how to hold lock picks. Why would you try? Sure, it's a I disadvantage. Rolled
2: a, I rolled a 20.
0: <laughs> right? Everybody gets lucky, I suppose. Um, I also like the idea that a role can be both favored and ill favored. I thought that was Mm -hmm. the kind of an interesting concept. It's possible. It says it's possible for a role to be both favored and ill favored for different conflicting reasons. When this happens, the role is resolved. Normally roll one feet die only, even if multiple sources would make a role favored, only one will make it ill favored. So I I thought that was interesting. And I'm not, and again, it is one of those things,
2: right? Like, sorry. Uh, you know, it is in the moment, um, and we see that sometimes of, like, I'm an expert fighter, but I'm in the middle of a darkness spell. Well, you don't have your eyes. You're at disadvantage, and that's kind of where the – I understand that you're good at it. That's why you get to roll. You know, you can maybe since you can hear still, you know, you have a shot at doing this. Um, you know, you, a sandstorm kicked up, and it blinded you, and you dropped something. You know, well, you got to find it, but I can't see anything. You know, you can still look
1: yeah, and yeah, and like I said, I'm not exactly sure on the math, but um, like when you're rolling a d twenty and you need a twenty, right? That's a five percent chance. But when you're rolling a d twelve and you need a twelve, that's an eight percent chance. So when you're rolling an extra dice and it's a d twelve, you have a higher chance of getting a good or a bad number. And so it's not like, Fifth edition advantage and disadvantage, where it's basically plus five, it's it's more of an impact because you have a greater chance of just screwing up. You can just roll an eleven, and it doesn't matter, right? Your target number is fifteen. You're rolling two d six. You can't succeed when you roll a zero anymore. You're just you're just done. So when something's ill favored, or when it's um, a favored roll, that's a big deal. It's a lot it larger than just advantage, it really is. And these, these things add up. Rolling an eleven on a d twelve is not very hard, yeah.
2: well, and again, I think it gives to that theme too. We've played or we looked at Mark Borg, where the odds are not in your favor to live. And again, here, when you're a hero, this is a little, you know, when you speed up dice, when you make it simple, when you, not, not simple, but again, pace of play, you don't want people bogged down. It really lends to me the point of we're telling a story here. This is with a little bit of, you know, dice rolling in a game, but for the most part, this is, let's, let's tell a story tail a tail right let's this is about the rp this is about not getting bogged down this is not about rolling i've got this feat with this modifier and this and this so i can do 112 damage on this turn it's it's less about that it's more about we we want you to win you're supposed to win but let's have a good story along the path right
0: so we do have some other conditions, like when it comes to rolling dice, like bonus success dice, we do, they do talk about penalty success dice. And then they get into what I thought was cool was which is the magical successes. And that is like, like um, Gandalf suddenly swelling inside or appearing to swell in size and the room darkens and his voice is booming. Um, I thought that was really interesting on how they do that. Uh, they can speak, you know, it, it just it was interesting to add that. But of course, it has to have you have to have that magical whatever that gives you that ability to do it. Uh, so I, yeah, I really it, like that
1: one. Yeah, you can't just magically succeed on something unless you have, you know, a the magic. magic. Right.
0: Uh, next, next part of the chapter gets away from roles and talks more about conditions, miserable, weary, wounded, just the different things that will affect your character. And then we get into the character sheet and it gets pretty bogged down right here as they start breaking out the character sheet.
1: Yeah. This is probably the most complicated part. I think of the game, everything else is pretty simple, but, but you just have to do the math right now and then you're good.
2: Right. And And I, and again, it's just new terms, right? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not, I want to make a perception check. I want to make, you know, we get used to those kind of things. And then here it's just, oh, okay. This is what this is. This is my hit points. Oh, this is my, you know, uh, what I'm able to carry. This is okay. You know, just getting used to that after that. I'll yeah. up real quick.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, but, and it does give you a glossary terms and you get to spend some time and I would recommend anybody who's going to pick up this book, spend some time on this, this, these two pages and go over the different glossary terms, go over the character sheet, familiarize yourself with what you're going to be dealing with in the game, because it is different than what we've dealt with, with DD five E. This is a whole new system. And that's the end of chapter two, which is as far as we wanted to go today, um, Chapter three, of course, opens with the beautiful artwork again, but we're going to stop there. Um, so, just looking over these two chapters, I, I just wanted to quickly touch base with you guys and see what your thoughts are now that we've really kind of dug deeper into these two chapters.
1: Zach, let's start with you. Thoughts? Uh, I really, I, I know that there was like a complex like process of getting here, but I feel like the sensibilities from the One Ring first edition and Free League really like came together and just kind of makes sense like i can understand why free league wanted to pick this up and get it going it really kind of like meshes with what they want to do and so it's pretty cool that the one ring you know gets to come back uh, after all the licensing fiascos that were going on and it's it's really in depth it's really cool there's a lot of love for the world but Uh, mostly I think I just really appreciate player focused game systems of just like game roll this, give me two successes. Like, you know what to do. I'm I'm really excited. I really like to play this game.
0: Cool. Nolan.
2: Uh, Similar about uh, looking forward to actually playing it uh, just to get a feel for it. It does have a few things to learn, but I, I think they're all fairly common sense. Um, it seems like a lot of stuff, there is no, you know, uh, playing chess versus checkers, not understanding the rules It lays it out pretty well and and why you would have a penalty or you also have ways of, you know, not necessarily getting around it, but there is opportunity to have help, uh, support people. You know, I I like those kind of things where other players can hop in and, and lend an aid to the situation. Um, I also really like the condition side of thing. Uh, One of the things that I take away mostly from a lot of the people that do Lord of the Rings type things is, you know, hit points aren't nearly uh, uh, as big of a deal as morale. Um, When you play the online video game, uh, bards are healers because when they play their song, they uplift your spirit and they heal your morale. And for me, that's such a neat thing of seeing that as well because if you're miserable, weary, wounded, you have these things and it is, you know, you get decapitated, you get decapitated. But you're not as good of a fighter. You know, we see that as Boromir, you know, slumps down and loses hope. You know, he becomes less bearable. He fails these checks. The darkness takes hold. And so when you have those kind of battles of... It it, it helps me remember why you're playing the game. And that's a nice thing of like, okay, we're we're here to inspire. We're here to help. It's here for hope. And I like playing heroes. I think that is fun. Like, I, I enjoy that style of game. This is... This is what I thought, you know, the original D and D party kind of is, you know, it's one of those things of, they came together to do something bigger. And so nowadays when you get, you know, you play D and D like, oh, I'm going to steal from the team. And it's like, well, why would I hang out with you here? You're together to do something. And I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm enjoying the deep dive. The art, like I said, it's pleasing to look at. Um, I don't think it's super complex. I think you'd play it, you know, two to three times, um, and have it down pretty well, uh, And, yeah, it looks great. I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything both of you said. Uh and again, it's it's a Free League book, and I have yet to be disappointed in the quality of the book that we get from Free League. And not just the quality, but like I've been very critical of some of the stuff that's come out from Modifius, especially along the lines of Vampire the Masquerade, where I felt like they did not care for the the game itself. They did not care for everything that is a part of or the world of vampire, where here we it feels like somebody has taken Tolkien's works has been very careful with it has been very considerate of it and has created a product that those people who are fans of it, who who like role-playing games are probably going to be in, are probably going to enjoy playing in this world. Now I've seen people online be very critical of this game. They say the rules are too crunchy that it bogs the game down. And maybe we'll see that as we get into it further. But as of right now, just looking at these first two chapters, I think the book is beautifully laid out. I don't think I've seen a single error in it like when it comes to spelling. Uh, And I know, Zach, you you and I both kind of see those a lot more um, just because of our backgrounds with me being an editor and you being well, a librarian. And I feel like, and just the quality of the book, like like I said, I did not get, when Nolan and I were discussing the Kickstarter, I did not get, I chose not to get the collector's edition because I was like, well, I want to play the book. I want to use the book. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to touch the book because I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. Even the regular one, and I chose to get that one so we could use it. And now I, I tend to use the PDF more than the book because I feel like even their basic book, the the basic book for this game, is a piece of art. I don't want to screw it up.
1: And and not to shill, but you can buy the collector's edition. You can pre-order all of that stuff for eighty bucks. There you go. Like there you go. If it's something you're interested in, it like the the book is only like forty dollars right now.
0: Yeah, and you can get the book on Free League's website. Mm-hmm. You can also get the PDF on Drive Through RPG. I'll, once I can figure out what's going on with our website, uh, I will get those in the show notes. There's some sort of critical error that keeps happening that I need to apparently reach out to tech support for. But I will get those posted in the show notes, and uh, we'll get that out there so people can check it out. Uh, the PDF is well worth it. I, I don't see anything that I dislike about it. I'm curious, though, and I don't know how, if anybody's looked. Is there a print on demand version on DriveThru?
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: I'm going to check real quick because I'd be very curious to see if there is.
1: Um, I don't feel like free league would go for that. It is not. Yeah, yeah. A-
0: it is one of the top selling ones on drive RPG. It's across their banner, and it has been for several weeks now. Uh, It does feel like it's moving down the ranks, but it's staying up in the top banner. And the PDF, it's a watermark PDF. and It is $24.99. If you go to Freely, Zach, you said it was $40 for the book?
1: Yeah, it's like prices are in uh, Swedish Krona. So it's (laughs) like I have to go to Google and do a conversion. But basically, one Krona is like a U.S. dime. Yeah. So... Yeah, like it was like $40 for the book for the collector's edition thing where you get the book and the starter set and the PDFs for it. It's like $80, which is still quite a bit. But if you were really wanting to play the Lord of the Rings and Adventures in Middle Earth wasn't doing it for you, you might want to try this.
0: So that's the the one ring bundle, uh, which, which does not include the collector's edition book. The collector's oh, I... edition book was a leather bound. <laughs> yeah, it was something completely different. And like I said, Not I chose either. to get just the core rule book, the basic core rule book, because I was afraid I was going to screw up the collector's edition. Apparently I gotcha. shouldn't have been so afraid.
1: My, my mistake, but.
0: No, it's all good. It's all good. And then the, the one ring starter set does include the supplements for the Shire and Rivendell. So there's stuff in there for everybody to look at. Yeah, I got that.
1: Yeah, you got
0: that. I remember. Yeah. Yep, I have the box set. I haven't opened it up yet. Um, there's going to be all sorts of stuff within the box set to check out. Uh, I got the book in the starter set, and I think it was like a hundred dollars when I did it. Uh, and it does look like original price is going to be closer to that hundred dollars. It does look like it's being discounted right now over at Free League. Free League is also doing something right now where certain products that they have right now, or no, I'm sorry everything that they have right now in their web store, 50% of all proceeds will go from the web shop during March 18th to the 21st. So until tomorrow we'll go to support the work of the international red cross and it's humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine. So that's a one way that you can support that if that's something you wish to do. And you can also, well, it does say here, uh, you can pre-order, pre-order the one ring lore master screen and Rivendell compendium. So that's another product that you can order there too. So there you go. Okay. All right, fellows, what well, that is going to be it for this week. We are going to take a look at chapters three and four next week as we continue our look at the one ring. Do either of you have anything else you would like to add?
1: Nope. Uh, not. No,
0: I think I'm good. I think we're good. OK, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye, everyone.